we are at another milestone in the Sermon on the Mount. And as this new section of the sermon begins, Jesus is still diagnosing the human heart. And as we've seen throughout the sermon, he's deeply concerned about a total renovation of our hearts. You know, he wants to see us experience holistic renewal where we live from the inside out, where our whole person is in alignment with the ways of God, not just our actions, but our interior lives. And so as Jesus continues in this heart work, he now moves on to the issue of motive. What motivates you to do the right thing? Or what Jesus calls righteousness. What motivates you to participate in religious activities or spiritual expression? You know, what motivates you to do godly things? And that's what the next section of the Sermon on the Mount is. And we'll have three or four sermons to explore this. And in our passage this morning, I want to highlight three things. I want to look at the audience, right giving, and the reward. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. So after 18 sermons and five, in chapter 6. Good news. And if you don't own a Bible, take one of our great ones home with you. It's also on the screen behind me. Here's what Jesus says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So let's begin with our first point, uh, the audience. Now, I remember very clearly the first time I ever performed musically, the first time my band ever played a show. I was 17. And of course, it wasn't so much of a stage as it was of a corner of a pizza parlor, but it sounds better to say that I stepped on stage. So I stepped on stage, and I remember being very aware of feeling a need to perform, and suddenly being very aware of every facial expression in the room. What are they thinking? How are they responding to this set? And now deep down, if I really loved music, there would be no need to perform. And so it wasn't just about the music. I was performing because I wanted mutual enjoyment of the screamo that we had developed for their refined tastes. <laughs> now, I'll never forget the first feedback I ever got after a show because it's forever changed my sense of self. An individual walks up to me. He says, if you're going to wear that shirt in the future, you may want to get some more sun and start working out. Just crushing, hence my new wardrobe, forever or. But although we will never, you know, step onto a stage, many of us, um, you might not ever public speak or play music or act or dance on stage, we can envision our lives as a performance on a stage. And we all live before an audience, whether we're aware of it or not. Jesus wants us to realize we all live before an audience. And so he essentially says to us, be careful who you're performing for. Day after day, when you wake up, for and why? Will you perform for others? Will you live for their approval and their opinions and their adoration? Will your life be focused on getting praise and accolades accumulated from others and looking good in their eyes? Now, to be fair, Jesus isn't saying you should never care about what other people think. Like, obviously, the opinions of those closest to you matter significantly. They affect us and they impact us. But Jesus says, are they ultimate? Who's the audience and whose opinion actually matters most to you? And to what degree do you live for the praise of others? Now, I can appreciate the lived irony of someone on stage performing a sermon talking about how you shouldn't perform. I get it. 
But if we really watch our hearts and our thoughts on this topic, at least for myself, I'm kind of shocked at how often I think about what others might be thinking about me. And especially in this social media world where you have an experience and then you immediately think, is this worthy of sharing? You have an experience. What commentary could I add to this experience to get my hearts? Or even so, we carefully, even if you're not on social, you want to be accepted. For example, when I'm having a conversation with someone and they drop like some historical reference to history, I just kind of like nod my head, even when I have no idea what they're talking about. They might even say, "You, you know that event, right? Like, yeah, of course. I have no idea, and I don't know why I do that sometimes. It's just that I don't want to look ignorant like a brute. And so I nod along because I'm performing. Is anyone with me here? Anyone else performing? Wow, we're in this together. Now, even if you don't struggle with performing for someone else, even if that is something you feel like you've grown in, you could still live for another audience. The acclaimed writer E.B. White Uh, He wrote for The New Yorker his whole life, but he also wrote children's classics like Charlotte's Web and that weird little mouse story, Stuart Little. And he once said this, the whole duty of a writer is to please and satisfy himself. And the true writer always plays to an audience of one. See, you could still live for a different audience. It might not be others, it's yourself. And I'm sure you've heard it said, you've heard people say, or maybe you say it, I don't care what other people think. I don't live for an audience of others. I live for myself. To thine own self be true and whatnot. But whether we live for an audience of others or whether we live for the audience of ourself, Jesus is saying these are misguided stories. It's the wrong audience. And when you live for these audiences instead of for God, you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. In other words, by performing or by showing off or by seeking praise from others, if you get that recognition that you feel you want and need, if you get the praise, then you have your reward. You got what you sought after. But you've missed something better. Because there's a better audience. Obviously, Jesus is saying we can live before a different audience of one. We can live our lives before our heavenly Father. And in fact, this is the truth. If there's a God, all of our lives are unfolding before the God from whom no secrets are hidden. Our lives are already being lived before him. Jesus is saying, align your perspective with the truth and begin living for this audience and it'll change you. The Christian social commentator Oz Guinness said, I live before an audience of one. Therefore, before others, I have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. And I think that sounds awesome. Like to be able to live in such a way that you don't need to seek validation or you don't have to pretend to be someone you're not or you don't have to put on a persona and try to fit in. You don't have to do the right thing solely because there's a social reward. And yet if we're honest, living for an audience of one isn't so cut and dry because we're always living for multiple audiences. We're living for ourselves, or before others and before God. And so sometimes it's hard to know what's actually going on in our hearts. And Jesus knows this, and he knows we need some kind of concrete example to help us examine the motives of our hearts. So he gives us three. And we're going to look at the first of them this morning, which has to do with giving to the poor. And so that brings us to our second point, right giving. Jesus continues in verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, 
that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Whether or not people literally blew a trumpet before giving in the streets isn't really the point. The point is that some people had a very misguided practice of giving to the poor. They gave in such a way that drew attention to themselves. They were hoping to receive praise from others. They thought, I'm going to give because I want to be perceived as generous. I'm going to give in a public way because I want to appear very pious and holy and obedient to the commands of Scripture. And so people saw it and they praised them. How generous, how holy, how righteous, and they have their reward. They sought after praise. They got it. But Jesus says, when you perform in this way, especially in a religious way. Now, hypocrite in the Greek refers to the world of of acting. And so it it talks about wearing a mask. Jesus says, when you perform in this way, you're wearing a mask. You're putting on a show. You're you're not being authentic. Jesus is saying, um, he's not necessarily speaking of the person who lives apparently a, a holy and righteous life, but behind the scenes, like they're super immoral. Yeah, that's hypocrisy too, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about something much more subtle. Jesus is speaking about someone who puts on a religious mask, who engages in religious activities. I mean, who can complain about someone giving to the poor? I mean, that's commanded through the scriptures. That's a good thing. But Jesus says they do the right thing in the wrong way. Have you ever encountered someone who's right but wrong in the way they're going about being right. Like any time I give directions to Julia in the car, I'm right, but I'm usually wrong in the way I deliver said rightness. (laughs) Jesus saying in the same way, people can do the right thing, give to the poor, but be totally wrong in the way they do it. You might even give to the poor and be gentle and kind and respectful and appear to be a very good and pious people. But he says, Based on your motivation, you could be completely wrong in the way you go about being right. So Jesus is speaking about the bright and holy, but inwardly their motives are a mess. And he says the danger of this kind of hypocrisy is actually self-deception. When we're engaged in this kind of hypocrisy, sometimes we don't even see it. The Pharisees gave publicly And they did it all in the name of God. And if you had sat down with them and asked them, why do you give? They would have said, for God's glory. But Jesus says, but within your heart, that's not what you're doing. You're giving for the praise of other people and you don't even see it. You don't even recognize it. That's how deep the hypocrisy goes. And so it turns out you can believe you're living for the right audience. You can believe you're living before God, but you're blinded by self-deceit. You see, people can say, I'm living for God alone. And yet, in reality, they're using God and they're using the language of God to justify living the way they want to use God. And so they actually use God to serve their own agenda. They're not living for God. They're just using religious language to justify living for the audience of self. And that's what was going on with the Pharisees. Now, I think Jesus also chose this issue of money because it's a really sneaky issue. Anytime you give money away, it just pulls on these different dynamics in our hearts. When I first became a Christian a couple years later, I moved to Christian Mecca, which is also known as Orlando, Florida. And I was exposed to this whole new world of Christianity that I just had never 
encountered. And so I joined a church and I joined a community group. And a couple of weeks into this community group, I discovered that Christians sometimes go overseas on what's known as mission trips. I just blew my mind. I didn't know anybody would, would do that. And it turns out they also ask you for money so they can go on this vacation. And I thought, that's really cool. <laughs> and so very going. She was actually going for a really good cause. She wasn't trying to get a free vacation. And I was excited. I had never heard of someone doing this. And I had an opportunity to give money. And I was making money. And I thought, great. So I went down to the bank, and took out some actual cash, stuffed it in an envelope, sealed it, brought it to community group next week. And the leader goes, all right, let's all pool our money together, put it in one envelope, and give it to Anna. And I thought, no. <laughs> I sealed my envelope already because I want her to know how much I gave. Now, I didn't say that out loud. Instead, I opened the envelope and begrudgingly put the money in the collective pot and gave in secret, but in my heart. I wanted to be generous. I wanted to support her. But I also wanted her to know that I was generous and that I supported her. And Jesus says, consider these moments. Look closely at them. Evaluate your motives before God. Bring that to the light. What is actually motivating you to do what is right? What is actually motivating you when you do give to the poor? If you've ever given through GoFundMe, you know it offers you this great little option of giving anonymously. Now, you don't have to give anonymously, but it's an option. And if you should choose to have your name shown, I simply ask, why? Because the, hope, the person hosting the fundraiser, they see everyone's names, if you give anonymously or not. So if you're worried that they'll not know that you supported them, they will. Now, there might be a good motive. Maybe you want your name to be shown because you're going to share this fundraiser. I give to this thing that I'm not giving to. Okay, maybe so. But the only reason you make your name public sometimes is because you want your name on that list. And if you ever give because you want people to know that you give, you want them to know the sum or that you want to just be seen as being generous. That's the sort of thing Jesus is addressing in our hearts. And in this case, it's better to give in secret. It's better to give anonymously. It's better to let your cash be lumped in with the whole sum. It's better to get no credit or praise because your father who is in heaven sees what is done in secret. That's what Jesus goes on to say in verses three through four. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I just love what Jonathan Pennington, a New Testament scholar, says on this point. Giving in secret is meant not as a new prescription requiring cash-only gifts rather than checks used for tracking tax-deductible giving, or that when helping a homeless person, the helper must wear a ski mask lest he or she be recognized. I feel like that could be a movement, though, like the ski mask helpers. I don't know. It's so rarely a scholar is funny in a commentary, and this actually made me laugh. It didn't make you laugh, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> now, the point is this. There's no way to keep your left hand knowing from what your right hand is doing. I tried all week. Couldn't figure it out. And it's because it's an idiom. It's not a magic trick. Jesus is, is saying, pay attention to your motives. See if you can get to a simpler motive. When you give, just give. Just give and don't worry about credit. Don't worry about praise. Just give and your father will see it and he'll reward you. That's enough. And he says it's better to give without the recognition because God sees and he knows 
and he cares, and he delights in you doing what is right. But he also wants you to do it out of the right motive. You see, so often in our culture, we say, well, motive doesn't really matter at the end of the day so long as good was done. And there's some truth to that. Like, it's better to accomplish the good even if your motives are mixed. And yet, God is care, cares about our whole person formation. He doesn't want us to be fragmented. He wants us to be a united whole that if we give, it is out of the abundance of our formation in Christ. Because you actually stop short of something better. Because if you give in secret, if you give for God's eyes alone, he'll reward you. So the question is, well, what kind of reward is God talking about here? And that brings us to our final point, the reward. Jesus says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be praised by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father. And then in verse 4, he says, If you do the right thing, say you give in secret, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so there's a reward for living rightly, for doing the right thing. But how is that any better? How is it better to give before God so you can get a reward versus giving to a person so you can get the reward of praise? At the end of the day, you're still giving for a reward, and that seems messed up, doesn't it? Our culture says, if you're going to do something good, shouldn't you do something good for goodness' sake, not for the reward? But I want you to think about that. Even if you give, and you do it to be good for goodness' sake, there's the reward of feeling satisfied that you did it for a better motive. There's still some sense of reward in that action. You're never detached from the action or the results of that action. And so there is a reward motivating you. In that case, the reward is just being good for the sake of goodness, but it's still a reward that you're attaining. And so Jesus is saying, no matter how you come about it, there's always some sense of reward driving our motivations. And so you might as well discover a better reward. If you're going to do good, if you're going to practice what is right, if you're going to pursue righteousness, as he puts it, and if you do that before God's eyes alone, you can find a better reward. So what is the better reward? C.S. Lewis is really helpful on this point in mere Christianity. Lewis says, we must not be troubled by unbelievers or not yet believers when they say that this promise of reward makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. What he means is that you're only good for hire. You're only being good because you're going to get a reward. You're going to get paid. And then Lewis gives this example. Money is not the natural reward of love. That's why we call a person a mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover. And he is not a mercenary for desiring it. We don't start doing the right things so that somehow we can bank up enough credit with God and get our reward from him. This is not some carnival where you're earning tickets so at the end of the day you can cash it in for your prize. When we speak about a reward from God, it has nothing to do with approval or gaining his favor. We have to remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing someone who is already a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. They've already followed him and been reconciled to the Father. They've become a child of their heavenly Father. They're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so the sermon is showing us what it can and does look like when the kingdom of heaven breaks in to our lives. So this, isn't, this has nothing to do with salvation right now. 
The reward has nothing to do about extracting something from God. What Jesus is saying, when you live in the right way, in other words, when your life aligns with the fabric of God's creation and his coming kingdom, when you do what is right, there's a reward. And the reward is God himself. The reward is living in such a way that you experience the pleasure of your father for doing good because it aligns with who he is. Now, the other day I was reading a book. The opening chapter, it begins right away with a question. And this is what he says. Take a moment and try a simple exercise. And the results will tell you a great deal about the nature of your spiritual journey. Imagine God thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? So let's take a moment and do that together. Close your eyes. Imagine God thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? Now, I want you to hold on to that. Maybe you feel like you're not doing enough and that God is constantly disappointed with you. Or maybe you feel a sense of his delight and his love. Just hold on to whatever your reaction was to that. For me, when I put down that book and I engaged in this exercise, almost immediately I felt a sense of God's pleasure. And it really surprised me. Uh, life as of late has felt like an uphill journey. It's felt like a constant thing after another thing, and it's just felt hard. And in that moment, I, for the first time in my life, I think, felt the Father's pride for me as a son. I felt God's love before. I'm not, I'm not saying I've never experienced that, but his delight and feeling proud toward me. I felt like he said, look at my And it was just really simple. It wasn't like the heavens parted or I heard an audible voice. It was just this very simple, quiet, in secret relationship with God. And sensing God's pleasure for me in that moment is a reward greater than anything I deserve. It's disproportionate. The math doesn't add up, and that's what makes it a reward versus a paycheck. You see, if God owes you, it's a paycheck. God's just paying you for services rendered. But a reward goes well beyond. It's disproportionate. But this reward is only possible for those who follow Jesus into the kingdom. It's only possible if you let Christ reconcile you to the Father. And when you come to him, though, you can stop the show. You can stop the performance. You can begin to live honestly before God and with yourself and before others. Because Suddenly, before others, you have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. Because as the Apostle Paul once said, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing available in the heavenly places. And Paul also says, even if you have nothing, you possess everything. But I also want to be intellectually honest here. If we look at this passage, Jesus doesn't actually tell us what the reward is does he? He just holds out the promise. And I think that's really interesting. He holds out the promise of reward. And he says, look, if you cultivate this in secret relationship with God, you can and will discover this promise of a reward. You can discover this, but you have to engage God directly. You have to begin to live before him. You have to come to him through the Son, but when you do, there is a reward, and it's hard to describe. You have to come and experience it 
for yourself and the pleasure of your heavenly Father. Anything you could ever gain on earth. It's better than any praise you could ever get from any individual. It's better than any accomplishments or accolades. And so the question for us this morning is, who is the audience we will live for? And what is the reward that is motivating what you do?